Well, good morning. Yes, um, we are in Jonah 4, final chapter. And it's a bit of a surprising end to the story, right? So we're used to stories where we meet someone, well, that's Jonah, and there's some sort of issue, he's running away from God. Um, He hits a crisis point where he learns something important, right? That's the storm and the prayer and the fish. And then the character gets back on track, right? He goes, he obeys God, um, and then the Ninevites repent and are saved, and they all live happily ever after, right? That's, that's kind of where you might expect the story to end. But not this story, because Jonah chapter 4 opens with but. Oh, but. That's a good word, isn't it? Um, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. <laughs> Whoa. And he became angry. Now, here is where we uncover what is really going on in Jonah's heart. And as we see what's going on in Jonah's heart, we get to see the depths of love also in God's heart. It's in this chapter, really, that we find the meaning of this whole book. Now, as we kind of look through this today, one of the most difficult things for us to do is You know, as we uncover what is going on in Jonah's heart, we are also going to be uncovering what is going on in our hearts. Because in this book, we are Jonah. And Jonah comes out looking terrible. Worse than the pagan sailors. Worse even than the cruel and violent Ninevites. And definitely in a completely unjustifiable position in front of God. See, Jonah should, should be, should be the one who thinks and acts most like God because he is one of God's prophets. He is the one who was given the words of God to speak, but he is actually the least like God in this story. And Jonah is so much more like us than we would like to admit. Even for those of us who are outwardly obedient to God, even the leaders of of our church, me, even mature Christians who are walking in God's ways, actually none of us would come out looking any better than Jonah if the thoughts and motivations of our hearts were actually opened up and revealed to everyone. And it's really easy and really a lot more comfortable, right, to to see and point out the sin in Jonah. Maybe you might see that this is like somebody else that you know. But actually, first and foremost, what we need to do is to ask God through the Holy Spirit to really show us what he wants to say, how he wants to apply this to our own hearts. So as we do that, I just would like for us to pray together and ask him to do that. Father, I just want to thank you so much that you are a God of such incredible love. We thank you that you have given us this story of Jonah and that he is incredibly flawed and yet incredibly loved by you. And Father, we just want to pray that you would open up our hearts 
to ourselves? Would you open our, our ears that we would listen to what you are saying to us? Um, Father, I pray that, that your spirit would gently but insistently tell us the things that we want, that we don't want to hear, but that we need to. And I pray, Lord, that you, that you would move our hearts to turn them more towards you, away from ourselves, and that we would see and be drawn to the love and the beauty and the wonder that is you. We pray this in your name. Amen. So this morning, um, I've got three headings for us to, um, to look at this passage through. So the first is the real heart of Jonah. The second is the tenacious love of God. And the third is the message to the city. So I'm going to start with the real heart of Jonah. So up until this point in the story, we've only been able to guess at Jonah's reasons for not wanting to obey God, you know, for running away or sailing away to Tarshish. But here it is, and it's laid out clearly for us in the first three verses of chapter four. And it reads, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. So Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh because he wanted for them to be destroyed. And that is an ugly truth. Now, the Ninevites were an exceptionally cruel and violent nation, and they had warred with Israel and been the cause of incredible devastation and suffering to the people of Israel and many around them. And so Jonah wanted God's judgment to fall upon them. He wanted to see them punished. He wanted for Israel to finally be free of these enemies. And he did not think that they deserved an opportunity to repent. He is angry, right, that God is gracious and compassionate. He's angry that God is slow to anger and abounding in love. It wasn't fear that caused Jonah to run. Sorry, it wasn't fear of Nineveh that caused Jonah to run. It was fear that God would enact his compassion that caused Jonah to run. You see, Jonah does know God because he is absolutely right that God is gracious and compassionate, that he is slow to anger and abounding in love. And this is the only sort of God that Jonah could rant at and not turn into a pile of smoking ashes, right? Jonah is right to continue to speak to God while he is angry, but only a gracious and compassionate God would hear Jonah out. In the very moment 
of his complaint to God, Jonah is the recipient of God's incredible slowness to anger. Now, sometimes when I go grocery shopping, I, um, I have these great plans in my mind of all the things that I'm going to be able to cook during the week. I'm like, yep, you know, I'll be organized and I'll, you know, th these are all the things. And then, and then the week happens, you know, and, uh, you know, one day I'm a bit tired, another day something went a little bit longer than it should, blah, blah, blah. And then sometimes, like I did yesterday, I open the fridge and I sniff the chicken. I'm like, no, <laughs> not today. <laughs> that chicken needs to go in the bin. I'm very sorry. Now... These raw ingredients are wonderful sitting in the fridge. But they don't actually become useful. <laughs> they don't become a meal, anything nourishing, until, you know, they're chopped up and heated and mixed with this and that, until they're rightly seasoned. They don't do anything except gradually go off in my fridge. Now... Jonah has this collection of things that he has learnt about God. But in a way, it seems like they're just raw ingredients sitting in his fridge. He hasn't somehow really understood them. He hasn't really absorbed them into himself. So that Jonah can say the right things about God. But he hasn't really understood the heart of God, right? until God applies the heat. So let me read from five, verses 5 to 8. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city, and there he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant, but at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed down on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Now Jonah is still in a way, even though he is talking to God, he is still running from God. He's gone again to, to the east, which in the Bible, when people move to the east, often it's an indication that they're moving away from God. And he's clearly in a place that is a desert place, right? There aren't any other people there. He had to build his own shelter, so there was no shelter. There were no other plants there that were sufficiently large for him to shelter under. So Jonah builds himself a shelter, an inadequate one, but it's God who provides the real shelter that he needs in the form of this plant that grows up overnight. And in these verses, what we see is how incredibly small and selfish Jonah's heart really is. Right? He, he isn't, it's not just that he's angry about what Nineveh has done. There's this other level of what is going on in his heart here. Because Jonah has 
not, has no care at all for an entire city of people, hundreds of thousands of people in that city and animals. But he cares so deeply for a single plant that was his shade. And even then, his concern is not for the plant itself, but for what the plant was doing for him. Right? And twice in this passage, in these short verses, he says he is ready to die. Once because Jonah did not destroy Nineveh, and now because God has destroyed the plant. These two things should not have the same response. Would we agree with that? Those two things, not, not on the same level to have the same response. Because how could a plant compare at all to an entire city of people, to the eternal salvation of so many? But it does to Jonah. Church, what is more than the eternal salvation of friends and neighbors and relatives who don't know Jesus? Of entire people groups who are basically unreached. What is worth more than that? Are we, we, spending more time and effort and angst building shelters for ourselves or getting angry when God takes away relatively small things, small comforts in our lives than being concerned for the eternal well-being of the people around us? Now, it's easy to see it in Jonah, and God makes it really, really easy to see. He makes it so easy to see that we can be tempted to point and scoff at Jonah and wonder that he could, could continue on with such a bigoted and selfish life. But don't, don't we also have these blind spots in our lives. You know, sometimes God will turn up the heat in our, in our lives. Sometimes he will take something away and he will provide a seasoning of pain. And I'm not saying that he causes those things in order to bring awful things into our lives but that these things can be used. They can be opportunities for us to have our eyes opened to areas where we have protected and justified our own selfish and self-centered hearts. Areas where we've, we've actually been making excuses for ungodly attitudes towards others. Where we've been holding grudges, being unforgiving, gossiping against people whom God loves. And sometimes we can feel justified because that person did something that just, we would never do that. 
Never. It's unthinkable. How could they possibly have done it? And so we, we can withhold even the opportunity for repentance and withhold the fullness of the truth of God's love in the way that we speak to them or don't speak to them, in the way that we could be showing them through our actions how much God loves them. We can withhold that. Now, I'm a person who is also fighting the root of selfishness in my heart, right? And I can say these things mainly because I personally experience these things, right? I'm not making them up and pretend, like, you know, like I've got to imagine what it's like to have a selfish heart. I do understand how easy it can be to get caught up in the routines of life, in the catch cry of our day where we're all busy with so many things. And it just doesn't seem like there's sufficient space in our lives to really consider how to be proactive in showing God's love. I understand how natural it feels to simply do what everybody else is doing. To go to the same restaurants, to buy the same sorts of cars, to live in the same sorts of areas, to shop in the same places without really thinking any more about it because that's what everyone else is doing. And for these things, for us not only to, to be in those patterns of behavior, but for those patterns to, to feel incredibly significant and a measure of how good or bad our life is. I say these things because I feel it too. And it's a daily fight. And I can't truthfully say that love wins. But actually it does. Because the desperately selfish heart of Jonah and me is met by the tenacious. That's the, the not letting go-ness, the grabbing on-ness love of God. Now, we may only have known about Jonah's ugly attitude towards the Ninevites in this chapter. But God knew it before he ever called Jonah to this task. He knew it when Jonah ran. He knew it when he sent the storm. He knew it when the sailors threw Jonah overboard. He knew it when he sent the fish to rescue Jonah. And he knew it when he called Jonah a second time. He knew that Jonah's heart's attitude towards the Nervites had not changed. But God held on to him anyway. He would not let him go. Now, if any of us knew this, and we were looking for people to go and preach to the Nervites to warn them against the coming destruction, how many of us would have chosen Jonah to go? 
And even if we had decided to give him a go the first time, how many would have, been, would have let him go the second time after he ran away? God could have sent someone else to go to Nineveh because clearly the message that Jonah preached was only effective because God was working in their hearts. It didn't need to be Jonah who said it. But God does everything from the storm to the fish to the plant to even in sending him to the Ninevites. All works, God works it all together for Jonah's good, for his benefit, for his growth. It is to help him to grow in his understanding of God and to transform his own heart. Right, Jonah, the prophet of God who should have known better, who should have behaved better, who should have treated God better. Did he deserve the chances that he got? No. <laughs> but neither do we. And this is the tenacious love of God that calls us and contends with us, fights for us, continually giving us another chance and another chance and another chance, even whilst knowing fully the ugly truth of what is going on inside of us. The sin that we keep buried, the thoughts and the attitudes that we hide, he knows our internal monologue. I don't want anybody to know my internal monologue, but God knows. And he comes to us even as, as Jonah was, as we express our anger unfairly towards him, as we question his judgments, as we cast shade on his character, he keeps coming There are so many ways right now in which expressing an unacceptable opinion will lose you friends and followers and influence. The right to speak, you lose it. There is no grace. There is no patience. There is certainly no long-suffering love or withholding of final judgment in cancel culture, right? The world's judgments are swift and unforgiving, and its standards are unclear, shifting sands. There is no firm ground and no firm lines. But in God, we find an absolutely firm and solid, unmoving rock. His standards and his character are perfect and unchanging, and yet... He is so gracious and compassionate and patient with us and he works in us for us to mature, for us to grow. He contends for us so that we can see our own sinful ways and to learn to hate the sin that we once loved. Because I think that is what has happened to Jonah 
as others have said it before me, there is no way that we would have this story unless Jonah told someone. And there is no way that Jonah would have told anybody a story of such shame and that showed him up so badly unless he did repent and unless he did learn to hate the sin that he once loved. You see, the love of God, the tenacious love of God changes people, but not when it's left as a raw ingredient in the fridge. It's not something you can simply read about or hear about from others. You must taste it. And as you push on it and push on it and push on it, trying to find the edge, the bottom, the top, anything, you will find that there isn't an edge, a bottom, a top. You will experience that truth that it is infinite and endlessly flowing spring of life and light. And you will find that you cannot contain it, but actually it will contain you completely and utterly secure. And in this space of safety and unending love, you will find that you are finally secure enough to admit your sin, to admit your failure, and to repent, and to allow that gradual transformation that we call sanctification to happen in your heart by God's Holy Spirit. Friends, you have not outsinned the grace of God. There is no final straw that breaks the back of God's love. God will never suddenly discover something about you that he didn't know before that turns him away from you. But he wants for you to grow, to mature, and to keep on deepening and widening your understanding and experience of who he is. And he will keep working at drawing you to him to give you opportunities to understand him better. This is the tenacious love of God that loves us too much to allow us to remain stagnant and stuck in our sin. And he gives us a message for our city. I need to remind us of the words that Jonah preached to the Ninevites at the end of chapter 3. Well, in in chapter 3. Very short. 40 days more and Nineveh will be overthrown. This is a real message of judgment from the judge of all the earth. Now, did God stop loving the Ninevites? Is that why he decided to bring judgment on them? No. Absolutely not. God did not stop loving the Ninevites. That is why when they repented, he held back judgment. But God's judgment did eventually fall about a century later. And the city of Nineveh, along with the entire Assyrian Empire, fell. You see, even though they repented in the time of Jonah, 
They did not turn from their evil ways and they did not turn as a people to God. Now God's love is not in conflict with his judgment or his wrath. It is because God loves that he must bring an end to all sin and evil. Because you see, love seeks what is good, what is best, what is right. And sin is never good or best or right for anyone. It must be destroyed. And friends, here is what God says. He says, I I will pay that. I will make it so that that sin can be destroyed without destroying you. I will send my son and he will die on the cross for you and he will rise again. But here is the message for the city. Either you pay for your own sin with your death or you allow the penalty to be paid by my son. Now, there was a time in Australia where it may have been reasonable to assume that even if a person wasn't a Christian, they still had some basic understanding of the gospel. But that is not the case now. And there are many, many amongst your friends and neighbours, your acquaintances, whose main exposure to Jesus is as a swear word. Now, God is patient and kind. He is compassionate. He relents from sending calamity, but it will come. And are the concerns of your life, my life, are are my concerns for my comfort, the pursuit of my own goals and dreams, the filling up of my life and space with more stuff or bigger stuff or better stuff, is that more important than people who don't know their right hand from their left and who don't even understand what exactly it is they are rejecting. God's heart is for them and he has given us our call. As flawed and broken as we are, with mixed selfish motivations, with bare minimum obedience, to go out into all the world and to make disciples? Is it too big a risk to ask a friend whether they'd like to come and see, to come to camp, to come to Alpha, to come to church? Is it too scary to bring God's wisdom into a conversation with a friend? Is it too confronting to offer to pray with them? Do you feel it's too much effort to learn how to tell the basics of the gospel? Or to be willing to do some research into a tricky question a friend might ask? Do you know that God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love? And have you experienced that God, that love that does not let go in your life. It's time to share it. Let me pray for us.
Father, we just want to, God, bring ourselves before you in this time. Lord, would you, would you keep speaking to us, God? May the words that we need to hear continue to ring in our hearts and minds. And would you, would you, Lord, show us the ways in which you want us to change, you want us to open up, you want us to see you, to hear from you, you want us to let go of our fears, you want us to, to unleash our selfish hearts so that they are open, so that they can learn how to love others, so that they can have their priorities changed and renewed. Father, would you show us? May we be captured by your beauty and may it be your beautiful love that leads us to where you want us. In your name.